Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always you can find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at The Second Row. That's 2ND, not the word second. And if you want to get in touch by email, do. It's info at thesecondrow.com. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please go back and listen to the back catalogue of the interviews I've been doing. I've been doing these for a couple of weeks now and I've had some really great guests on from Nicole Fowley, Nicola Friday to Michael Swift and Owen McCone. So please go have a listen to that back catalogue. There's some really good interviews there. And this week I'm joined by Rory Parata. Hi Rory, how are you? How's life and lockdown treating you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, I'm slowly, I'm starting to finally get a bit bored now. I I thought it'd be a bit <laughs> earlier, but it's kicking in now big time, yeah. And are you still in Cornwall or did you manage to get home? Yeah, I'm still in Cornwall. So um, I actually had planned, I was getting going to get a new puppy and, and then I kind of had fully committed and then... The lockdown happened and I was like, oh, I'm going to get this puppy. I'm not going to be able to go home. So I've got a new puppy here now. So he's keeping me company at least. At least you can use this time to like improve your rugby skills and train the pup at the same time. Lots of yeah, training exactly. going on. Exactly. I'm just worried now when I, when, I, when I finally go back training that he's used to me being here with him all day. So You won't be able to bring a mascot in with you. No, a few of the boys bring in their dogs, but I'm only down the road, so I should be fine. Oh, that's good. That's good. Have you been using this time to kind of upscale or work on anything that you've been wanting to work on uh, over the years that you just didn't think you'd have time to do? Um, yeah, so like I've I've started kind of learning about um, graphic design and obviously with all this going on, I kind of had a, had a look at myself and if, if rugby was to end tomorrow type thing, what would I do? Um and I think graphic design and stuff like that is something I've always been into. So I've just been, with all the spare time, watching YouTube videos and doing stuff, trying to do a bit of that every day. So Yeah, it's very important as a rugby player to kind of have some sort of plan for the future because it is a very short career. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd agree with that. Uh, I wish I could have told my younger self that, but <laughs> back now, yeah, I 100% agree. And speaking of your younger self, how did you find that move at the age of nine from Australia to Ireland? Um, quite strange. Um, growing up, obviously in Australia, where well, I I I liked it a lot when I first came to be honest, because I was used to living kind of on in the suburbs in Sydney, where uh, there wasn't that many kids my age. To moving in Cork, moving into a an estate that was just built and showing up and there's like 30 40 kids running around the place so when i first got here i loved it but it was it was definitely a change uh, i i moved over from london when i was around 10 so i i understand that culture shock when you're going from a different country to ireland just things are just different yeah yeah it's it's hard to explain like i don't know little things like just go, going around staying out till like it was dark because everyone knows everyone so you're you always had that kind of safety but which you didn't really have in Australia I was always at home and then it's obviously a bit different to oh just come home whenever the lights go on and stuff like that and was rugby your sport of choice growing up uh rugby league in Australia I love rugby league um I remember one time Obviously, my dad being from New Zealand was like, okay, I think he said, I'll try to get him to play a bit of union now. And I showed up and I just, I thought it was so slow. And this is an eight-year-old, seven-year-old. <laughs> and then when I moved to 
Ireland, I moved to Passage Western Cork, which is no rugby whatsoever. It's Gaelic football, hurling, and football. So obviously, kind of what probably one of the main things to fit in was I said, "Oh, I'll give these a go," and I kind of got hooked on Gaelic football and football. And it wasn't until I was, I don't know what I, I remember going to Dolphin to play, and I showed up, and it was non-contact, and obviously coming playing rugby league from when I was young and it was full contact. I was like, Oh, I'm not doing this. So weirdly enough, I played football instead, which doesn't make much sense, but yeah. But eventually the rugby union stuck. Yeah. Eventually it stuck. I ended up going, I think a few, a few of my friends started playing and I remember one time they were like, Oh, we've got a game out in y'all. Um, if you want to come and watch and, you can just come and watch and then see if you like it. And then I remember I got there and uh, they didn't have enough players and they were like, is there any chance you can jump in? Uh, no registration, none of that, no nothing. <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, no problem. And I haven't looked back really. And that was with Dolphins Baron, and you played in school with Rockwell as well. Yeah, so I played for, Do- I played for Dolphin and then <laughs> I loved it because... It was all, there was the main bulk of the team, weirdly enough, was guys from Passage. So I was there, was all, it was all my friends, but to be honest, we weren't very good. We used to always get hammered. Um, and then Sunday as well. So if you've ever been down in Cork, so Musgrave Park, one half is Dolphin and the other half is Sunday as well. Yeah. So there's obviously a bit of a rivalry there. And then Sunday as well, underage, were really, really good. And they got in contact with me and asked me, did I want to come and play? Um, so I ended up going to them, got abused by my friends <laughs> um, and played there. And then I played there until I was in fifth year in school. And then I went to Rockwell for fifth and sixth year in school. And I played my schoolboy rugby there in Tipperary. And you did pretty decently with Rockwell getting to the, the final of the Senior Cup. Like, it didn't end well, but, like, you still had no. a good run with them. Yeah, like, um, it was a bit disappointing because the first year I got there, I, I moved in the middle of the year. And I got there, and I think the Senior Cup was starting in maybe three or four weeks. But I wasn't eligible to play because I just moved. So I trained every day, like, did all that, and I kind of got the gotten the buzz of it like when looking back like the crowds and stuff like that it's crazy looking back and I kind of got all that buzz of it and then I finally got to play in my sixth year and we did well we ended up losing to Crescent in the final um yeah still a bit bitter over it because we beat them in the first round and they got in Munster as a backdoor system yeah uh we beat them in the first round and they ended up absolutely hocking us in the final so oh no yeah so you got that whirlwind of schools rugby really kind of took off for you that year. Yeah, um, that's kind of, I kind of had a good senior cup and kind of kicked on from there really. And that's how you got into the Munster under eight setup and the Ireland under eight setup. Yeah, so I played obviously on underage. I don't know is it the same now, but there was always um under eighteens. There was a club team and a schools team. So yeah. there was um, a clubs into pros and a schools into pros. And I was in the Munster under 18 clubs because I was playing for Sunday as well. And then after that scene, I think it was like the whole 
there was very little uh, players from the club's team went on to the 19s team. Yeah. And that's when I, around the same time, moved to Rockwell. And I went and did all the 19s trials for Munster, and I, th- I thought I did quite well. And then I ended up not getting in the team. And Tom Mulcahy, one of the coaches at Rockwell, was like, well, I have a contact up in Connacht who I know they'd like you to go up and play there. Um, so I ended up going playing Connacht 19s. And I think that would have been the summer before Senior Cup. And um, yeah, did quite well and got. I, I think there was a few of us in from that squad ended up going playing Ireland nineteens the same year. And did you and your whole family move to Connacht then at that stage? No, no. So, uh, I, I had the option then when I was leaving school to either join the Munster Academy or the Connacht Academy. Yeah. And um, so my family obviously all live in Cork, all still do, and my um. I remember I was kind of, I wasn't split. I was still bitter that I got dropped from once to 19s. And obviously I'd be chatting a lot with Nigel. He was head of the academy. Yeah. And Nigel actually out of like off his own back, drove down to my family home in Cork, came down, had a chat with me, like showed me the progression plans and all this stuff. And he left and my parents were like, you're signing that contract and you're going, (laughs) you're going up to Galway in the Connacht Academy. And I agreed with them, so I was quite lucky there. And was it the fact that Nigel came down and showed that kind of personal contact that sold it, or was it the plan? Yeah, I I think that was a big thing. Um, like, he didn't obviously didn't have to do that. Um, but I think as well, the way he laid out the path to professional rugby through Connacht, like, he showed me all the centers. So this time I was playing mainly 10 yeah. and 12. And he was like, I want you to play 13. And then he showed me the progression. He was like, these are the 13s in the senior squad, which I, w- I was in school. I wasn't even just to get an academy contract was massive. Yeah. And he's showing me that he's like, at the moment, it's Robbie Henshaw, Owen Griffin. And he's like, I think in a two or three years, you'll be pushing them, which I think what like that did have a big part to play in it when he laid it out as a it's a path to professional rugby rather than it's you're in the academy now that kind of vote of confidence in your ability was like there from day one with Nigel yeah yeah and I think you see that with all the boys like a lot of the guys that were in the academy when Nigel's there like what they're doing now that's that's great and what what was life like as an academy player because it's a big move from Cork to Galway yeah uh oh I loved it looking back now (laughs) um we would we worked hard like we worked really hard we were in first thing every morning um and then at the time uh i think before it might have been like a lot of the academy guys were training with the senior team but because the squad was so big then it was like if there was a few backs injured a few of us would go up and train um but i was quite i had a bit of a strange so a lot of the boys would would have lived with each other, a lot of the academy guys. Yeah. But me and Blady, both, we signed for Galwegians, and we ended up living in a house with um, Jarlin Nocton and Jason East, <laughs> who obviously were 18, 19, 18-year-olds coming up, um, living with the two lads. So I, I loved it. Like, at the time, I was like, oh, geez, I'm living with these old fellas. Yeah. But uh, 
they showed us the ropes around Galway and stuff. I loved it. Oh, that's brilliant. I remember, if I remember correctly, the Connacht clan gave you a, a bursary. Yeah. Like, how much help was that? Because I know academy players, they don't get much oh, to survive on. M- massive. Ma- like, I was in I was in university my first year, and I regret it now, but I ended up just, like, only doing it a year and dropping out. But if it wasn't for me being in university and getting the grant, I would I would have been struggling, like because you're on my first year in the academy. It was four year, four grand a year. Wow. Um, which like I it's... remember chatting to my mom and being like, "How? I don't understand how you're expected to live off this." And you're showing up there, and they're like, "I want you to gain ten kilos in muscle," and you're like, "All I can eat is bread. <laughs> like I have no money." So like. I remember getting that and it was massive for me. It like helped me so much. And did it go to food or did it just kind of just in general help yeah, out? Yeah, it just went, it just, the help out and like, I remember I'd be walking down to the spar down the road, there was a spar down the road when we lived in Rothcam and like I'd be in there every day because neither me or Blady drove either <laughs> at the time. So we were getting the bus in training every morning, first people on the bus getting the bus home from training, like those little things added up every yeah, day. I, I, that's that's incredible. Like I think a lot of people forget how tough it is for caddy players, especially ones who don't have the ability to live at home. Yeah, it is. And I think it's it's tough when I think a lot, like I my parents weren't in a great position to be asking them, oh, I need money for this, I need money for that. And so I remember getting that, Nigel telling me, oh, and the kind of clan are going to give you, award you with this and being so thankful at the time. And your dad as well was so grateful. He gave a pair of signed boots to the kind of clan as a, yeah, as a gift. Um, yeah, so my dad is he's really friendly with, um, obviously he's from Wellington in New Zealand and he's really friendly, friendly with um, TJ Perinara's um, yeah. parents. And he get he he gets a lot like off them. So, He's had signed All Blacks jerseys from squads that he's like he's donated off for charity and stuff. Um, I think they were Corey Jane's boots that he wore in a World Cup game or something crazy like that. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, and um, yeah, that was just my dad's way to show thanks. They're, really, they're still in a cabinet uh, in a pride of place in the Connacht clan. Like, it, it, yeah, <laughs> really, that's great. And do you remember your first cap v the Scarlets? Um. I remember, yeah, I do, I do. I remember parts of it. Yeah, at the time, like, it's obviously, I remember thinking that pre-season, I think, I think Robbie was at the World Cup, maybe. Yeah. And I remember thinking before, like, there wasn't, there was no centers. And I was like, I, I could be in a shout. I could be in with a shout here. And just thinking, no matter what happens, if I'm injured, I'm not giving them a reason to not pick me. I was like, if I'm injured, I'm training, I'm doing everything. Um, yeah, I remember. I, I remember. I, I'm pretty sure I got the bus into the game. To be honest <laughs> with you, from Ross Cam, asked the bus driver to stop outside the sports ground because they probably thought I was a ball boy walking in. Uh, and like in that 2016 Pro 12 winning season, you're one that group that went to Russia. Yeah. What was that trip like? crazy um it was crazy we 
I remember I remember after the game and I think even looking back now I think that year we were we were the only team that actually won in Russia um and I remember sitting in the airport and thinking oh we've been delayed an hour two hours three hours oh it's getting late now and then them coming and saying yeah the plane's actually um just apart broke and we can't because it was the same time as the terrorist attacks in France yeah and they needed to fly the part from France and they were like yeah you're not you're not flying <laughs> pretty much and thinking oh what's going to happen here so we got back on a bus back into Krasnyask and just trying to think of a plan really to get back we ended up because well, I think we were playing the following Friday or Saturday as well so we started doing our reviews at like there would be times in in Galway, so it would be lunchtime, but it was like something ridiculous, like four or five in the morning, trying to get our body clocks ready to go again. Oh, no way. Um, and then being told we're going to split into three groups. So um, half would fly to, I think it was, we would all fly to Moscow, and then half would fly to Paris, I think. A third would fly to Paris, a third to Amsterdam, a third to London. And this is the obviously the time when all this terrorist attacks were going on in France. And I remember just thinking, please, I'm not on that plane to Paris. <laughs> and what group were you in on the way home? Oh, I was in London. <laughs> and um, we had a, I remember we had an official with, from the European rugby. And when we got to the hotels and, the, and we were in Moscow airport, he was like, you guys get whatever you want just keep your receipts and we'll reimburse you yeah so i remember when we landed in london we stayed in i think it was like the hilton hotel in london <laughs> and i remember going down for dinner and i've never seen more food on the plates at that dinner table <laughs> the the whole team made good use of the the free trip oh, home. there was like two steaks coming out everyone was everyone was doing it did you enjoy the rugby with pat lamb that year like it was been a great environment to be in yeah yeah, it was really good. It was everyone knew everybody's role really pretty much. We knew every like every lift, different part of the game. If they started changing how they defended, we knew what what we would do and it was just yeah, every, everybody just knew their roles was the main thing. You're one of the players that got brought over for the final. What was it like when the team kind of rallied around the academy like that? Yeah, I was I think I was quite lucky because I think so obviously the squad flew over a few days earlier than yeah. they usually would for a game um but I th me and Blady were 20 were like traveling reserves so we had to go do the warm up and all but it was strange because we flew over with the rest of the squad the morning of the game but then when we got to the I remember we got to Edinburgh airport and they said, all right, you, we got on a bus and they said, okay, we're going to drop you two off at the hotel. Um, so we dropped, got dropped off in the hotel and the rest of the lads, I'm pretty sure, went into Edinburgh and had a few beers. And we were walked into the hotel, like everyone was just stretching. You could, it was, there was ner nervous vibes and it was strange coming from being the rest of the lads all getting ready to go have a few beers, get ready for the game and going and you could tell the guys were a bit that's nervous. That's really weird. So you got both sides of the, the, the team atmosphere on the one day. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So we had all the guys getting ready to getting like excited and ready for the game. 
but then we also had to get to the hotel and everyone's got their headphones on it's you can hear a pin drop what was it like for you watching that day it must have been incredible to know to be part of that squad oh um yeah it was crazy uh look i think one of the craziest things it was driving in on the bus through edinburgh to the to murrayfield and just the amount of green was everywhere i remember pulling up the bus pulling up at um just outside for us to get off and walk in and people hanging from this looks like they were hanging from the ceilings hanging from like the uh, stairs above us and it was just all green everywhere and just i remember sitting on the bus looking out and just being like i i don't think leinster can win this today (laughs) there was an aura about what was going to happen that day like even from the outside looking in the team looked like they're focused on a different level yeah I think one of the main things was that there was it was almost like there was nothing to lose so there was no point in I remember the lads just being like play our game if we lose at least we've lost playing our own game yeah type thing and I think it was one of those days where just everything went right and it was yeah it was looking back I'm always I'm still happy that the game was won and it wasn't a tight one because I think the one it might have been a few heart heart attacks on the sidelines. Oh, from players and fans alike. Uh, everybody, <laughs> yes. When did you stop partying? Because I've heard different versions of when d- different people stopped. Were you like seven days in or two weeks in or? Oh, I wasn't that. I'm not that heavy. <laughs> I'm not that. I was. It was a good few days. I can say that. But I remember because I, I, at this stage, I was me and Blady were still living out in Roscam with. Um, Charlotte and Jason East and I remember I think we were in the blue note till I don't know what time and I remember because the parade was the day after yeah and thinking me and Blady going we better go home try to get at least an hour or two sleep and getting back and opening my bedroom door and I'm pretty sure it was either Easty or Ja bought both of us hot chicken rolls and a bottle of Buckfast and they were in our beds. So we were like, oh, I don't think we're going to sleep now. <laughs> it, it was incredible. The full city and province just descended on Edinburgh and Galway for two days. It was it was unreal. I I can't describe it. I try to describe it to like guys over here and stuff. And it's, it's, you can't really describe it. I think the weather, it was like in the mid to high 20s. It was like everything just fell in place, really. The, the weather decided to celebrate with you. Yeah, it did. I remember down going down Spanish Arch with like most of the squad down the Spanish Arch and stuff like that. At at that stage, you would have signed your senior contract for the next season, wouldn't you? Yeah. What was that like signing your first professional contract? It was it was almost a relief. Through I remember because I always remember like playing Eagles games when I was in my first and second year academy. Yeah. And just like it just being like enjoying it playing. But I always remember like looking at some of the guys on development contracts or year three contracts and just you could see the nerves because they had that, that they were playing for some, like they had to play well type feeling. Yeah. Um, And I always remember like seeing guys getting sick before games and thinking, oh, I don't want to have, get caught in that, with that stress. 
type thing almost. So when I I I was luckily because I played the first few games, it was I got mine out the way quite early, which I was relieved about really. <laughs> and you're able to focus on your own self for a while then, and yeah, yeah, pretty much. You can just focus on playing. You don't have the the nagging kind of feeling in the back of your head. Your first senior season like coincided with everyone in the league almost finding Connacht out and the blips in camp that it didn't make an easy easy season for you uh no not really so I was quite lucky where the I think the the year before I played a few games and then the second year yeah like I think a f- teams just figured out our game plan with our the kind of 242 system we were playing and just kind of yeah and it was it was tough because it was having my first year where everything went well like we won the we won the pro 12 in the first season of rugby to losing games and like seeing it all seeing like you got to see both sides of rugby quite quick in professional rugby. Yeah. How was the camp like then? Because it mustn't have been the happiest place to be, especially with Pat Lamb's announcement so early in the season that he was going. Um, yeah, it's tough, but I feel like it, the the environment you get in rugby, you're, you're, you're with your mates every day. Like it, you find, I find it hard to find like a, a guy that you don't like being around in in every rugby team I've been at. So I think that kind of gets you through those tough times where it might just be taking the taking the mick out of each other but I I've never really found like a big bad vibe in a in a squad. You left at the end of that season. How did that move to Dunedin come about? Was that Corey led as well cuz I had Kieran Gaffney on before? So yeah, it was a bit it was a bit of a strange one because obviously Pat was leaving and I was still kinda of didn't know what was happening with a contract and stuff, but and sure I there was no coach even at this stage when I had told I wasn't being kept on, so I didn't really know what was happening. Yeah. And I think Gaff had been down in New Zealand for maybe a few weeks and I asked him, I said, What's it like? Um and he told me, he said, yeah, I'm loving it. It's it's like a breath of fresh air. So then straight away, I was like, well, I might ask Corey, see what he says. Because I, I knew Corey through. He was uh, my Galwegians coach. And he was also uh, helped the academy a lot as a skills coach. Um, and then, yeah, Corey said, come down. I've, there's a few clubs down here that would love you. So I went down there then after that. You had a good season with Harbour Dunedin. We got to the final. I got injured and I miss I I got injured around maybe four or five games into the year and it's it's quite different in New Zealand where especially the club season they just play all the games so there's no breaks you play like I don't know is it 12 13 weeks in a row and then the season's over it's like oh well what, what do you do now compared to where used to really long seasons over here in the northern hemisphere yeah um but yeah, we got to the final and I really enjoyed it, yeah. I'd say your dad must have been happy to see you playing in New Zealand, even if you were far from home. Yeah, he loved it. Um, he was just annoyed I didn't go to Wellington. But <laughs> yeah. 
how did the move to Zebra come about then? I was, weirdly enough, I ended up getting, I was at the same agency as Gaff was. And Tyg, Dara's brother, Tyg Leader, got on to me. He was, um, I think he was head of like the American region. But, um, and then I think Zebra had lost a lot of players because I think they technically went bankrupt. And players were allowed to leave their contracts and leave. Yeah. But then, obviously, the Italian rugby needed, um, needed two. You need they needed two teams, so they, um, pretty much funded Zebra, and then that's how I ended up getting in there. And from there, you went to Cornwall. Was there any talk of you staying in Italy? Um, not really. It was quite tough where they. The whole backline, pretty much, was at the time was like the Italy backline. Yeah, and it was quite tough at the t- like to get in. It was it was perfect for me at the time because when I got there, I think I was there, and the Six Nations was starting in two or three weeks. Which obviously, if their whole backline is Italian, means that half the squad was gone pretty much. So I got to play a lot of rugby in the in the Pro Fourteen, which was what I wanted to be doing, but then when it it came to the end of the contract, I kind of had a feeling that um, it was going to be tough for them to keep me on, and Michael Bradley told me that. So, How did the move to Cornwall come about? Was it through the agency again, and did they find you the space? or? Yeah, it was just through the agency again, and they found the space. Um, yeah, I got quite lucky, to be honest, and to get here. Was it nice having a, a former Galwegian and Kian Romain down there already? Yeah, so um, it was actually quite strange. So me, Kian and Gaff were all in Dunedin as well. And then me and Gaff obviously both went to Zebra. So I was there with Gaff and then I signed for Pirates. And then I had my first year here and Kian was signed. I think he signed for Yorkshire. And then... I played a year here and then he, I got a random message off him. I hadn't chatted to him in a while saying, oh, what's it like in Cornwall? <laughs> and I kind of clicked straight away. Obviously, we're going to be signing him, but it's yeah, it was nice to see a familiar face. It must have made his life easier having you there ahead of him. It was like the little things. I remember him asking me, like, uh, what's it like to live in like these little towns? Like, um, where should he look to live and stuff like that? It's little stuff that you kind of take for granted, I think. Yeah, I get what you mean. You've played under a good few coaches. What have you been able to bring from, say, Connacht and your time in New Zealand and even Zebra to the Pirates? Oh, I think there's different things. I think all the coaches I've had have been, like, they've all been polar opposites pretty much, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I think I've learned from all of them. Um, I think from Pat, it's probably, like, the difference everybody knowing their roles makes and how that can, if a whole team knows that it doesn't matter who, who you're playing against. And then New Zealand, I think I've just, the thing I learned mainly there was just the, the, you can never have enough skills. Like the, the amount of skills they do all the time before gym, after gym, before training, after training, it's, it was completely different to when I was in the academy. All I, these skill sessions that I do in New Zealand, you do a gym session maybe instead, which was like a real eye opener when I got there. 
And what was the Zebra setup like? Because we don't really get to see into Italian rugby behind the curtain very often. Yeah, it's good. It's um, it's very different. It's a bit more laid back uh, than I was in con than I was used to in Connacht. But I think it's one of those it's one of those cultures you have to buy into because it's quite there was quite sometimes you'd have like the um the Italians and then the foreigners type group, but I think I think the Italian guys appreciate um buying into that culture and and you're living there so you might as well get in with it and it was good. It was the weather was nice, the food was good. Um and with Mike Michael Bradley there it was it was real free flowing rugby as well where it suited me really perfectly. And what is Cornwall like? Like it's not somewhere i'd know off personally yeah. is it a um, nice town it's quite it's different um but in the summer it's unbelievable it's like the some of the beaches it's you think you're down in south france sometimes then obviously in the winter when it's raining every day it's it's like being in galway sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and how have you enjoyed your rugby yeah i've loved it um the championships it's it's a weird different like if you came into our gym there's two squat racks it's probably around a, a, a f- the size of the gym in connect but no one no one complains like they just get on with it and yeah yeah it's it's um i think that's the the main thing it's like a lot of guys are just playing for like you're obviously getting paid but it's the love of it a lot more than you'd think yeah because the Pirates are a fairly competitive team in the league. There is a a lot of difference between top and bottom. Yeah, there is. There, um, it does vary. So there's usually, obviously, you always have the team that comes down, who's always going to they have the all the money behind them. So, um, next year it'll be Saracens. This year it was Newcastle. Um, my first year it was London Irish. But then there's always it's, and then you always have Ealing are always quite good, but there is a bit of a gap between the top maybe four or five teams in the bottom. But so you've got to remember that some of the teams down by the bottom are part-time, pretty much semi-pro. So Yeah, no, I get you. It's, it's a really, it must be tough, and even from your point of view, of what to expect it week in, week out. Yeah, it is. With some of the teams, you're, you're looking at, you're trying to do analysis, and you're like... <laughs> their game plan looks completely different from one week to the next. There must be a part of you licking your lips to get the chance at Saracens next season. Yeah, I think every player in the championship is probably going to have that fixture ready to go. Whatever team comes down, I think every every champ player, every, I think they all see it as a chance as well to almost prove to themselves. Um, like if you're playing Newcastle last year, the majority of that team are Premiership players have all played in the Premiership. Obviously, it's going to be a bit different with Saracens. They're going to have some England players, and I think everyone will be licking their lips when that game comes around. <laughs> You've been pretty much a mainstay in the the Cornish Pirates team since you since you landed there. It must be nice to just kind of have that jersey almost attached to you now at this stage. Um, yeah, I've been quite lucky that I haven't touched wood had any injuries since I've got here. I think I've hopefully anyway, I would have got 50 games this year in my second year. So um, 
I've been quite lucky and I've just loved getting to play every week really. And what are the the Cornish Pirates aspirations? Are, are you part of the, the teams that want to really go up into the, the premiership every year? That like cause you and Ealing are the ones that always kind of are knocking on that door. Yeah. Um the Pirates are definitely the the main aim is to get to the premiership. They're in the process trying to get planning permission to build a brand new stadium in Truro as well, which will obviously be massive. Um, I think the main thing they're trying to do is, especially that we're only two hours from Exeter, is almost try to emulate the way they've done it. Um, yeah. I think that's the only way you can probably do it. Like, if you look at London Welsh, who a few years ago went up there, not even a club anymore. So I think you have to do it the way Exeter have done it through getting homegrown players and stuff like that. That must mean there's a good community spirit there. Yeah, there is. Because if you look at where we are on the map, we're the very, very bottom of the England. So um, the Cornish people are really proud. Um, they're the type of people that when Boris Johnson lifted the restrictions, they were saying, oh, no, stay out of Cornwall. <laughs> um, but yeah they're, they're so proud they're a proud bunch of people a lot of the guys in the team that are from here would say if you ask them where they're from they say they're Cornishmen they don't say they're English oh yeah um, so I think that's one of the big things that's kind of built into the club down here as well you're, especially where we are you're stuck with each other every day of the week so <laughs> <laughs> So so it's a good team spirit and it's somewhere you kind of see yourself staying for a while anyway, hopefully. Yeah, like it's it's really good. It's like, for example, it takes us, I think our shortest bus trip this year was to Harpery, which is like four hours. So you're used to being with each other all the time. It's That was one of the things when I met with the coaches. He said, you're going to get used to all the guys and yeah it's really good down here so is it bus trips for all the matches or do you get some flights yeah so we got we got bus trips to the night before so we stay in hotels but what happened was we when we saw newcastle come down i think a lot of the boys were like oh surely that's uh that's gonna be a flight from Newquay up to newcastle but we played them in the league and we got a bus we ended up getting hockeyed and then we were meant to play them in the cup in the semi-final before all this happened. And I think they changed their minds and they, we were going to fly. But then all this happened, obviously. <laughs> that must have been a killer on the body on that bus home. Like after a game, just being on a bus for that long. Yeah, I think the worst part was we drove back down to Gloucester. So we stopped there halfway. So got there at like one o'clock in the morning, stayed the night there and then had to get up the next morning and finish the journey which was another four hours oh no yeah it wasn't ideal especially after getting hockeyed as well yeah no like that that's almost um double the pain for yeah yeah it wasn't great but it seems like a place that you're you're settled in yeah it's i'm i'm pretty happy here at the moment um all going well i think i don't think any player kind of has aspirations to stay in the championship but I think it's a real good place to be at the moment. It seems like if you're in the championship, you're in a club that is worth being in in the championship. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's what I've always said to 
people if you're going to be in the championship you want to be in a club that has aspirations to push on and pirates are definitely one of those clubs that's great uh, it's great to see that you're doing so well there and that you're happy and settled there and it seems that your your time in Connacht has kind of helped set you up for a career in rugby even how short it was here yeah definitely um like I was chatting to my girlfriend the last day and being like looking at all the guys so like I think there was a, me, Sean, Blady, Peter Robb, all these guys thinking like, geez, those lads have gone on to do real well at Connacht. And like, obviously on fair play to them and I envy that. But my girlfriend was like, you've also got to travel the world and live in different places as well. So that's a, that's a great outlook she has. You can't judge yourself by someone else. Exactly. Yeah. Those achievements. Exactly. That's brilliant. Honestly, it's really good to see that you're doing so well and I'm going to let you get back to your evening and thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with me about your career. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you. See you again. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Roy, for coming on. It was great to chat to you and hear that you're doing so well outside of Connacht Rugby. Everyone listening in, don't forget to like, share and subscribe to the podcast. If there's anyone at all you'd like me to get in touch with, to have a chat with in the future, get in touch. I'll do my best to get them on. So until next week, take care and stay safe.